Welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's weekly politics podcast, the Bring on the By-Elections edition. It's October 23rd, 2014, and I'm your host, Sarah O'Donnell. This week, I'm going for maximum opinion with columnist Graham Thompson and Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Paula. Well, thanks to the NDP and Rachel Notley, we do not have to record the mea culpa edition of the podcast this week. We'll look at her win last weekend in the party's leadership contest. Then we want to return to the four by-elections because those contests will be decided on Monday. But we will start further afield with what happened Wednesday on Parliament Hill. I didn't feel like we could record this show this week without talking about the, the crimes that shook Ottawa yesterday and the entire country, frankly. So let's start with this critical caveat that there is still so much we do not know as of Thursday morning about what happened and why. We do know that Corporal Nathan Cirillo, a reservist from Hamilton standing guard at the National War Monument, was killed. And after that, the shooter was later killed during a gunfight in the center block of Parliament after he managed to get into that building with a gun. It's been 24 hours since those first horrible shots were fired, and I don't know about you guys, but it just I felt very emotional all day yesterday, and I don't know if that's because I spend so much time or have spent so much time, not in Ottawa, but in government buildings here in Alberta, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on what's happened on Parliament Hill and what, what you guys have been thinking about in the day since. Uh, well, I'll say two things. Um, today I watched the House of Commons this morning with the Prime Minister made a, made a statement, and then followed by the Leader of the Opposition. Thomas Mulcair, followed by Justin Trudeau. And I got to say, I was moved by uh, this sort of sense of solidarity. And it may sound kind of maudlin, it may sound kind of trite to say that it's good to see our politicians actually reinforce the notion that in our country, we solve our differences through peaceful means. We may disagree with each other, but th- but there's a sense that we have live in a democracy that treasures these certain values. So I thought that was nice to see this pulling together of the politicians to talk about, um, um, you know, being resilient in the face of, of this attack yesterday. Um, also, though, yesterday I was trying to ponder what this all meant. A lot of the media coverage, some of it was talking about things have changed, everything has changed, uh, to quote one of the uh, MPs on the Hill. Um, some have talked about the end of innocence, and I thought it's a bit overblown. Uh, I don't want to downplay what happened yesterday. It was a terrible um, tragedy, what actually happened, and a terrible event. But um, I think that... Um, to say that everything has changed in Canada to me is is missing the point. Um, there's been a, a you know things changed with 9/11 in Canada. We've gone to war in Afghanistan. Uh, this is a new threat, perhaps, but we've got to be careful not to overreact to what happened yesterday in our reaction to it. Right. And I have to say, I've been quite proud and relieved at the measured response I've seen in most quarters in this country. The national reaction yesterday was stoic and thoughtful and as it should be. And I think it is important to remember that this is not the first time Canada has faced a terrorist threat. Sarah is not old enough, although Graham and I are, to remember the FLQ crisis. Uh, We're all old enough to remember Air India, which was far and away Canada's largest terrorist incident. And, you know, even in our own Alberta legislature, we've had two incidents of a gunman at the legislature in the past, one in 1977, where uh, a gunman arrived and shot and killed his ex-girlfriend, who was uh, Secretary to Cabinet Minister Horst Schmidt, and then killed himself. And in 1988, uh, another gunman who was also upset that his wife had left him and remarried and blamed the provincial government for... uh, his, for losing his kids in a custody fight, came down to the legislature and sort of provoked and drew gunfire in what was really a sort of an incident of, of would-be suicide by cop. So 
It is very important that we strike the right balance in all our public buildings, whether it's the courthouse, the Alberta legislature, the House of Commons. We need to make sure that our security is robust, that people are safe, but we also need to make sure that we don't overreact and overcompensate. And um, obviously, we need to be vigilant, but we need to be, you know, looking in the right directions. Right. We don't want these important symbols of democracy to become so... I guess protected, and that we that the normal citizens can't access them. So I think that we're all going to watch and hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah, in fact, this morning in the address to the House, Thomas Mulcair talked about every Wednesday there's a yoga exercise on Parliament Hill, and he was saying, I hope that that doesn't change. People will still come. Feel, feel free to come with their little yoga mats and, and do yoga mm-hmm. outside the parliament building. So I'm never going to do yoga anywhere, <laughs> I would just like to say it, but that, that, that's not because of this. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I thought one of the moving things about yesterday is that the uh, gunman was reportedly shot and killed, not by a SWAT team, not by a, an elite crack team of RCMP officers, but by the comfortably middle-aged sergeant-at-arms, who's a retired RCMP officer, who kept apparently a handgun in his desk, and as the gunman uh, stormed through the Hall of Honor, came out and shot him while wearing his white tie and his ceremonial um, uh, tailcoat. And I thought, now there's an image that Canadians can can clutch to their hearts. You know, we don't need to be a hyper-militarized zone. Mm -hmm. We need brave, smart people of goodwill who are standing on guard for us. Yeah, and I, I think, and I think... He obviously was so brave, and I think everybody in that building had to be brave yesterday, and including the SWAT teams who went running after the guy, and all the security who our former legislature colleague Josh Wingrove recorded mm-hmm. on the you amazing know for the Globe and Mail the amazing footage, footage yeah. that I'm sure his mother scolded him for later. Yeah, Josh. Uh, Josh she did. Yeah, Josh said on Twitter last night yeah. that his mom yelled at him, and so yes. I thought, good, that's good. Yeah, people people should have their moms to keep them humble, even. In uh, Alberta's by-elections, which are which, let's move to that topic. Those are underway. We have that vote happening on Monday. This we're talking about the important symbols of democracy, and we have a you know a piece of democracy in action happening on Monday. The by-elections are happening in Calgary West, Calgary Elbow, Calgary Foothills, and Edmonton White Mud. And last night there was a candidates forum here in Edmonton. And I, w- I got to sit in on the first, I'd say, half hour of the forum before I had to sneak away. But the comments from both the moderator and all those candidates, they began with a thought and a prayer for those in Ottawa. But the conversation very quickly turned to healthcare, which was the stated purpose of that forum. And Graham, I'm hoping you can tell us more about that forum in a few minutes. But I'd love to hear from the two of you, just generally speaking right now, what you think about the various campaigns and how the past three weeks have gone for the different political parties. Well, I think... We've seen the the PC campaign basically unfold and the continuing announcement a day. Um, yeah, it's, it's great when you're the and government healthcare. and you've got and you've got the checkbook in your pocket and you they can control the agenda and it leaves the opposition uh, having to react to to them. And so they've done a very effective job. And people have been saying, look, this is unfair that they're using money to buy these elections. So they're the buy election as in B U Y. I had heard that one. That's really good. Um, just thought of it. Uh, but the the government has been very effective, and you can say it's not fair, but they've been using their power. They've got their hands in the levers of power. They can control the agenda. They're putting up money there. They're promising, that is, to spend more money, healthcare, education. And it's funny, the two people that are running for office right now are the Minister of Education, Minister of Health. So they've been targeting all the announcements that these two in particular. And I think that um, this has got the opposition having to react to it. So I think that it's a very effective campaign. 
And I think also the Wild Rose is not doing as good a job as I'd frankly expected them to be doing. I think they've been really reactive and I think they've been trapped in strategies that they evolved for you know, the premier two premiers ago, um, you know, they've been sort of reannouncing scandals. Oh, you know, illegal campaign contributions. Well, those date back years, and we've talked about them before. You know, yesterday, in the middle of uh, all of this tragedy and uh, uncertainty in Ottawa, they were out pumping a story about, you know, how much Stephen Mandel had spent on hockey tickets when he was mayor of Edmonton. And I thought, really? This is what you want to talk about on Twitter right now? Uh, Their timing has just seemed off, and their choice of, you know, their choice of material has seemed off. They tried to smear Mandel, uh, you know, with the suggestion that somehow he'd been pushing for the very controversial Tewilliger Town uh, supportive housing project, Mm -hmm. and that he'd been rude to people. Um, You know, I was actually at, at the event that they were talking about, and you know, to best of my recollection, Mayor Mandel hadn't said those things. What he'd actually said at the time was that he thought that that supportive housing project was good in principle, but that it was too large for the site. And and so, you know, I've been really perplexed because I think the Tories were plenty vulnerable, and I don't think the Wild Rose has been going after them in, in a really effective or efficient way. I agree. Um, they do sound shrill, and that usually is because they feel things aren't going well. The politicians in general will get shrill if they feel that they're starting to lose something. I'm not saying they are losing. Uh, We'll do the predictions in a minute, but I think that um, there's a sense that the Wild Rose is getting a bit more um, angry at the media in some ways regarding the coverage. But really, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of ways you could attack Stephen Mandel's record and his capacity to be health minister, but to complain that he, you know, that he went to too many hockey games? I mean, come on. Uh, but I mean, we saw that it was the issue of how taxpayer money that is used, and and it can be the small things that really make people upset. So I can this strategy, as you said, has worked in the past. I mean, if someone is spending sixty nine thousand dollars of taxpayer money on hockey tickets over the years, I, even if he's giving them to charity, I can see how that might annoy some people, some voters. Don't you think? Yeah, I would care more if I thought that Stephen Mandel had actually ever gone to any of those mm-hmm. hockey games. I mean, he's not a huge hockey fan. Um, so, you know, I guess the insinuation is supposed to be that, you know, he's in cahoots with Daryl Cates. And, you know, I, I've seen sort of this, well, and Daryl Cates sells pharmaceuticals. So his connection with Daryl Cates will somehow prejudice his ability to be health minister. I just think there are better ways that I would fight that by-election if I were fighting that by-election. And I think that Mandel's well-liked enough in Edmonton. People are not really going to believe this is a guy who's taking hockey tickets to somehow, you know, make money for himself or go to a free hockey game. I think there's a sense in Edmonton that, He's not the kind of guy that would do that. The reaction is, of course, from people around him to Mandela saying, look, this was given to charity. Waldo says, okay, fine, name us specific charities. And I think it, it wasn't really playing very well yesterday on several fronts. Well, and yesterday was not the right time, exactly. you know. Exactly. And at one point, of course, what was happening in Ottawa was a big issue. And you get the Wild Rose saying, no, 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 the media should be focused on this story. And we're thinking, no, this is not going to work. So they got shrill yesterday. The Wild Rose got kind of shrill. And it, I think the media this morning said, no, we're not going to be pushing it in the direction you want us to push it. Mm-hmm. And what about the pumpkins popping up in these races? <laughs> Um, well, you know, this this is a perennial thing. People get invited to more forums than than they than they can attend or than they wish to attend, and so lots of Tory candidates have not been showing up. And this is happening in, in a bunch of the different by elections. And so the opposition started putting uh, you know a pumpkin in their place, like the great pumpkin. Was he going to rise from the pumpkin patch? 
you know, and I guess at one point then they were told they couldn't use a pumpkin. I thought that was a very clever way of underlining it. I mean, does it matter if candidates attend debates, do it, you think? I think they should attend some debates, They sh- but I don't think that just because you decide to have, you know, to have an event and call it a debate that you should automatically expect every candidate is going to show up. You know, you get a situation like in that Wood Buffalo by-election, federal by-election, where the candidate never showed up to anything. Well, you know, that's that's hugely disrespectful of the democratic process. But I don't know that I can be as upset if you don't come to every single event. Yeah, I think there's two things. Um, people who are usually in, in front, the leaders, don't want to do a lot of debates. They may do one with Mandela. He'll do one just to say, I've gone to a debate, um, as opposed to going to all of them. Because if you're the front runner, it can be a problem. You've you know, you got one way and that's to go, and that's down. Um, so you don't want it to overexpose yourself. But secondly, um, people who don't go to any debates, normally that's an indication that they're not doing well, that they're afraid of the debate. Uh, we saw it with Don Getty in Edmonton, White Mud, back in 1989, um, Percy Wickman was the uh, liberal candidate, and there was debates that uh, Getty did not turn up to any of them, and he ran a, a chicken. It was a stuffed chicken in, in his place. <laughs> That's meaner than a pumpkin. And uh, Getty lost uh, that, uh, that his own seat. Now, I'm not saying he, he did not lose because he didn't go to the, the uh, debates. Not going to the debates was an indication. It was a symptom mm. that he was doing very badly. Since it is our home turf, let's talk more specifically about the Edmonton White Mud Race. Um, tell us more about that the forum that just happened last night, Graham. Yeah, it was what I expected. You got um, six people there, or f- five of them there, and they're ganging up on uh, on Mandel, basically. And you expect that the opposition is going to blame the government, especially on an issue with health care. He's the health minister. The audience was a lot of uh, older people um, and uh, well, gray-haired people, just like myself. Um, who maybe care about voting more and care about health care more than younger people. Uh, so a lot of questions about uh, how, how would you solve the problems in health care. And uh, it was aimed, it's interesting, most of the questions, of course, were aimed at Mandel or aimed at Mandel and the NDP and the liberal candidates. The Wild Rose was basically ignored by a lot of the audience. It's very rare they actually put a question to the Wild Rose. So the, the issue here is that the fights between, it would seem, according to the audience's mind, it's the um, the government versus the NDP and Liberals. I, I have to say, the, the questions I heard answered, the, uh, the Liberal, Donna Wilson, got a huge round of applause, yeah. which made one of the other candidates say, well, I guess I know how I'm going to answer this question. Uh, that was um, <laughs> William yes, Munsey. It's interesting as well, um, seeing how the Liberals, uh, uh, Wilson and um, Dr. Bob um, Turner. Turner with the NDP, you had two really good candidates and how, in a sense, they're splitting that vote. I'm not saying it make a, make a difference to the outcome. I'm just saying that you can see you have two people involved in the healthcare as healthcare professionals running against each other, running against Mandel, and they're both really good, credible candidates, and they're going to split that vote. I think it's really important, actually, that Mandel is getting a run for his money. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I think it's an incredibly good sign that so many quality candidates who actually know something about the healthcare system stepped in to go up against a very popular former mayor. You know, I don't think that Mandel is going to be in trouble in that seat, but I think it's also true that after you've been mayor for nine years, some of the shine does come off your guilt. You know, he was hugely popular when he first ran. 
At the end of nine years, he'd accumulated enough baggage and enough political enemies that it's not going to be an absolute cakewalk for him. So I, I think it will be interesting to see what happens. But I, I, I can't imagine a scenario in which he doesn't win that riding. If you were his campaign, though, wouldn't you be worried about this anybody but Mandel attitude that has been very apparent in that riding. I mean, I live not in the riding, but nearby. I see, you know, cardboard signs taped up on lampposts with anybody but Mandel scrawled on them. Isn't that kind of scary for your guy? Yeah, unless if you had one other person running against him, yeah, maybe. But you have, um, you know, the NDP liberals um, all have they have good candidates. Uh, William Muncy's a good candidate for the Alberta Party. Um, and you have, uh, the Wild Rose is doing relatively well in polls these mm-hmm. days. So mm-hmm. you've got the anti-government, the anti-Mandel vote will be split among uh, probably four different people. But it's also true, you know, I mean, Mandel as mayor never faced an opposition. Uh, you know, it, he had people like on city council like Linda Sloan and Carrie Diot who took issue with him on various topics. But it's not like the kind of concerted, consistent, critical questioning that you get from an opposition. And Mandel is not known for his phlegmatic attitude. He doesn't like criticism, um, (laughs) and he doesn't always respect his critics all that publicly. So, you know, I I, I wrote a column at the very beginning of Prentice's uh, leadership in which I said that, you know, I didn't know how well Mandel would actually do as a cabinet minister. So this is going to be a test for him. This is not like yeah. running for mayor. It's a team sport, for sure, yes. And he's not, he's, so, he, he likes to be the team captain, and he's not the captain. Dare we make official predictions? Dare we go there? Well, why not? Okay. <laughs> we have so <laughs> only, far every other Only an time. idiot would try and make a prediction. But I, so let me try. Um, uh, I would say right now, if you twist my arm, uh, I think all four are going to go to the PCs. I think the, the Calgary West is the one that um, the Tories are not too sure about because it's not a big name there, a relatively big name. It's Mike Ellis. Right, and that's where they've got Sheila Taylor running for the Wild Rose, right. and she's the Calgary Board of Education, was the former Calgary Board of Education chair. Uh, trustee and chair. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I think if the Wild Rose can't win Calgary West, that's a very bad sign for Danielle Smith. That should be theirs because Ellis is an also-ran candidate. Um, he's not a star in any way. Uh, Taylor is a big, a much, you know, a bigger name with a higher public profile. If if they can't win West, that is not a good sign for them. I'm going to predict in Calgary West that Sheila Taylor is going to win. That's and my. So what are you saying? You're saying Taylor and. Calgary well, I'm not. West? I'm not saying. I'm not saying. You're not making a prediction. I'm not making a prediction because <laughs> I haven't been. I haven't been to Calgary. I have not yeah. interviewed one single person in Calgary West. I'm just saying that my, from her from, from this, mean I can't make predictions. From, from this vantage point, that should be one that they ought to win. If they don't win, it's a bad sign. But I've also, you know, I was talking to a colleague from Calgary this week who said that he thinks Gordon Dirks is in trouble in yeah, elbow, and certainly. Um, it seemed like half the caucus was out door knocking for Dirks last week. Um, oh, and yeah, that, so they've got a, another really they're, good they're group of hard. candidates too. There, I mean, from all the parties. So well, no, they're they're going hard. The government's going hard. I'm 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 thinking right now. I'm thinking that status quo, all four potentially PCs. Hmm. Um, but Calgary West is one I think that if it's going to drop to the Wild Rose, it's going to be Calgary West. Elbow, of course, has gone what um, went liberal in two thousand and seven. Um, so there's, there's a history there of those people not writing, sending sending a message to the government. Um, but in that case, the PC vote just collapsed. The Liberals won by default in a sense. So I'm still thinking uh, three, probably four. Yeah, it's interesting because my Calgary friend was saying that you know Dirks 
is considered, you know, from his perspective as yesterday's man. He said that, you know, there are lots of people in Elbow who don't remember when Gordon Dirks was the chair mm. of the Calgary School Board that, you know, that he doesn't think that he's the right candidate for the demographics of that riding. But again, this is my my secondhand mm-hmm. prognostication, so I'm not going to personally and we all make agree. a record. Do we know. all believe Prent- Jim Prentice is going to win his uh, yeah. seat? Yeah, yeah yes. I think even I the think Wild so. Roses said yes. So, so with Mandel and Prentice, I think more or less for sure. The other two, it's, it's a gray area as to how how they're going to do it. Because I don't like waffling, I'm going to say on the record that I think, because I ask you guys what you think, I'll say, I've said Sheila Taylor is going to win in uh, Calgary West, and I also think that the Wild Rose candidate's going to win in Calgary Elbow. That's just my gut feeling. So two, Colonel Fletcher. I'm going to say four. two Wild Rose and two PCs, but we will see. And uh, I like my waffles with, you, with the with maple syrup. Okay, and again, this is just me entirely speculating. And speaking of predictions, let's go back to last week's political contest. You guys spoke with such certainty. There was no waffling last week, Paula, from you. You spoke with such certainty that Rachel Notley was going to win the NDP leadership contest that and I actually I feared was an right. upset. Yes. It wasn't an upset, Graham. How big was her margin of victory? Well, okay, um, 70% basically of the total votes cast, 3,500 3, were cast. You got 70% roughly. I'm saying roughly because... They have a complicated system where they give 25% of the vote to affiliated unions, and it's weighted that way towards the unions, and they get more more power from their ballots oh. than the average person. So, But the numbers, rel- relatively speaking, 3,500 people voted. She got 70% of that. Um, and second, of course, David Egan did relatively well, and uh, Rod Loyola, Loyola got like 95 votes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we kind of, got, but he got some name recognition through the campaign. Right. What, was the rea- what was the reaction in the room to her win? Oh, that was they were uh, on the chairs screaming and yelling. They were very happy because they, they wanted her to win. They thought they were going to win. And uh, so they're all very happy because they think that she can actually um, take them even further ahead. They're doing right now relatively well in the polls in Edmonton. Uh, some polls are showing them actually ahead. Uh, others are showing them tied with the PCs and the Wadros, but the NDP is actually a force in Edmonton. And I think that people are hearkening back as well to her father, Grant Notley, who was killed in an airplane crash that happened to be 30 years ago last Sunday. And as he led the way to them becoming the official opposition in 1986. So I think that they're looking back, looking forward and looking back at the same time, thinking the Notley name can help us, and, and also her herself. She's a very talented politician. Yeah, because I, I think, again, I mean, for, for, for you and for me, the Notley name resonates. For many, many, many Albertans who've moved here, you know, in, in the intervening years, they're not going to understand that pedigree. I think Rachel Notley's a really smart, talented politician in her own right, and I think what she might be able to do that Brian Mason wasn't able to do so much because Brian Mason was populist. People liked him. But I think Rachel Notley has the potential to take the party a little more to the center. And I think that's the right political strategy. Well, I am going to take this party to good stuff from the gallery. And that is our weekly segment where we talk about uh, a suggestion, something that we've read or watched or listened to that we think uh, our listeners would also enjoy. So Paula, do you want to start us off? Sure, I'm going to do a little bit of not exactly self-promotion, but organizational promotion. On Saturday, I'm going to be emceeing an event at the Starfest Readers Festival at the St. Albert Public Library. I will be interviewing on the stage two novelists who've written new first novels about World War One. The first, uh, P.S. Duffy, is a, an American with deep Canadian roots who's written a novel called The Cartographer of No Man's Land. Uh, which is about a war artist from Nova Scotia who goes overseas thinking he's just going to be 
drawing maps and ends up in the trenches, um, leaving his wife behind to sort of take over the family business. The second novel is called Somewhere in France, a novel of the Great War by Jennifer Robson. She's a Canadian historian and the daughter of a very prominent Canadian war historian. And her novel is about an upper-class Englishwoman who joins the auxiliary army and goes to drive an ambulance on the front lines in France. Um, and so it's interesting because, of course, this is the 100th anniversary of the beginning of World War One. But both of these novels um, are really interesting looks at the social history of World War One and at the political and social changes, especially in the roles of women uh, that were brought about by the First World War. So I'll be speaking with both P.S. Duffy and Jennifer Robson this Saturday evening at the St. Albert Public Library. And the novels, again, are The Cartographer of No Man's Land and Somewhere in France. Ooh, sounds good. I wish I could come. My Saturday is filled up with other pursuits. I thought that people might need something a little lighter uh, after, after this week. I'm going to recommend something that's on... Uh, a new series, or maybe not the whole series, but at least one episode that's been on CBS called Madam Secretary. It is the uh, the series where Taya Leone plays the... Uh, I, I've read that it's not supposed to be a Hillary Clinton-like uh, Secretary of State, but she's uh, a woman in the Secretary of State job who is kind of thrust into the position midterm. The episode I'm going to recommend was just on last week. It's called Blame Canada, and Canada <laughs> features prominently in this particular episode. There's a Canadian ambassador who's doing everything he can to get a particular pipeline approved. Um, there's a blockade of uh, fishing vessels, apparently, but uh, in the end, Canada is a good friend and, and helps them out with the Iranians and helps avert world catastrophe. So yay, Canada. Not blame Canada. Yay, Canada is what that episode should be called. But I enjoyed it. It's it's not a perfect television show. It's it's certainly a flawed TV show, but it was entertaining. So I will recommend that as just a little bit of a, a lighter, brighter look at politics on this particular day. Graham, wrap us up with I'm your lighter, sorry. brighter. No, it's not lighter or That's brighter. That's okay. Um, taking us back to yesterday, this is um, in today's paper, um, and today is the 23rd. October. Andrew Coyne, his uh, column is uh, Microterrorism Emerges as a New Threat. He's talking about what happened in, in Ottawa. Um, he's talking about this microterrorism being a lone wolf as opposed to a conspiracy like we saw with the Toronto 18 in 2006 where they were plotting to attack Parliament mm -hmm. and the CBC and shoot people in the streets and behead the Prime Minister. And, the, and of course our um, intelligence uh, forces uh, stopped that, arrested them and charged them and they were convicted. But he's talking about what happened as a, a lone wolf. But it's interesting, he's saying, um, this is Andrew Coyne saying, I'm quoting here, we cannot stop every attack and we shouldn't try. And um, he's saying uh, at the very end as well, treat this as a, as a shrug, like tossing away a cigarette. Like, and, and we should, he's saying that we should stiffen our resolve, stiffen our, our spines, we should not overreact. And right. That's a really important message. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, let's end on that that note. Thank you both for coming in this week, and we'll I'll be back next week to talk about all the results of the by elections. And that may be our Mia culpa. That's right. <laughs> I, I have a feeling well, that I've at, at least for you and me. Yeah, that's right. Not pa for Paula. You know that's what? Right. I think Paula Paula has to do the mea culpa for not playing along. But anyways, uh, that's all right. So thank you again this week to journal videographer Ryan Jackson for creating this week's video production. Who he will have clipped something that we have said and turned it into a video. You'll find that on edmontonjournal.com. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com/opinion. Or if you prefer, you can download the podcast for free. 
free at iTunes or listen via Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the press gallery. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week in the press gallery. Thank you.